Today we're kicking off a brand new series called The Book of James. I heard Pastor Jamie brought it last weekend. I, mean, I called him up this week. I said, man, you can't preach that good. <laughs> like, like, I, I got to follow you up. Um, I heard he brought it last week. Uh, I went back and listened to the message as well. It's a powerful message. If you, if you did not get a chance to go and, and uh, you weren't here last weekend, go back on our Facebook page or go on our, on our OSC app or our website and check out It Must Die. We got to kill it small, right? Kill it while it's small. So uh, I was excited and thankful for Pastor Jamie being here last week to, uh, to give us the word. And so today we're kicking off a brand new summer series, actually. Uh, we got five Sundays in the month of Jan- uh, July. Come on, how many know we're in July already? Half a year already gone, we're in July, and so uh, we're going to do a little summer series. We usually like to do during the summer um, a book study. We usually don't do it in the spring or do it in the fall usually. We save it for the summer to really for us as, as a church to dive into God's Word in a specific book and try to just get out as much as we possibly can. And so uh, we're going to be doing the book of James for the next five weeks, so I encourage you maybe to add it into your devotionals over the next couple of weeks. Um, be reading the chapters. Next week will be chapter two, then the next week will be chapter three, and then you can guess what chapter we'll be in in week four and five. Yeah, okay, so it, it, it uh, plays out with the week. So we encourage you to dive in with us, and let's just get all that God has for us in the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter... Okay, good. I'll just make sure you're there with us. James chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Okay, yeah, you're good. All right, all right. And so it kicks off with this. This, this letter is from James. All right, real quick, pop quiz. All right, who wrote the book? Paul. Yeah, if you said Paul, I was about to resign. Somebody said it. All right, I'm going to resign, all right. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. So this is how James kicks it off. Now, a couple of things that you need to know about real quick is that James, uh, there's four James in the Bible, actually. Two of them are very well known, um, and two of them are not so much well known. The two that you know well, first off, uh, there's James the Disciple. This book is not written by James the Disciple, by the way. Um, the, James is a follower of Christ, uh, one of the pastors of the New Testament church, but this is not him. This is actually, now get this, this is James' little brother, uh, Jesus' little brother, James. Jesus had a half-brother named James, and, and this is who we're speaking of in this book. Can we just start off by just saying, um, how much pressure would it be to be the little brother of Jesus? I mean, how, how, let's, let's be honest here. I mean, how many times has James heard, why can't you be like your brother Jesus, James? <laughs> Come on, how many know, how many know, how many know James had to be frustrated being the brother of Jesus? He had to be mad all the time. I mean, they go swimming, Jesus is walking on water all the time. Come on, how many know it gets frustrating? Y'all know how James is. James is probably one of those, he don't study for tests. You know, wakes up in the morning and says, <coughs> Mom, I'm sick. And Jesus walks by, you're healed. <laughs> Dang it. Why don't you get out of here, son of God? Come on, how many of you know? How many of you know how to be frustrating being Jesus and being James? James James had a frustrating position. I mean, you know, Jesus' first miracle that he performed is he performed water. He turned water into wine. Imagine the second wedding. And Jesus is not there, but James is. 
And everybody looking, hey, James, you know what your brother did last time, you know, he took that water, you know, spiced it up a little bit for us. You want to kind of, oh, you're just going to sit there with your sandals? You ain't going to do anything with us? Okay. <laughs> Y'all know it had to be difficult being the little brother of Jesus, <clears throat> but that's who wrote this book. One of the things that you need to know about James, though, James, the half-brother of Jesus, is that uh, James did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. I mean, come on, let's be honest. If your brother is saying, I am the Son of God, how many you know you're going, mm, we might need to check you in? <laughs> right? I mean, there needs to be, we need to figure out something. Actually, there's actually, if you go and you look in the Gospels, Jesus' family, James being one of the brothers, showed up to where Jesus was, and they went to go and arrest him because they thought he had lost his mind. Because that's what you do with brothers who claim to be Christ. You go and you try to get them. You know, you know how Jesus proved actually not only to his brothers but to his family that he was actually the son of God? <laughs> he came back to life. Now that's, come on, how many know when you come back to life, you're like, you the man. Okay, all right. Okay, now I realize why mama never spanked you. Okay. <laughs> you, you are the son of God. So it, it really is. He actually became a Christian after Jesus rose again. The Bible says that James actually put his faith in Christ, realizing that, oh my goodness, my brother is. You would think it would have given away with the no sin thing. But anyways, he rose again and he became a Christian. Um, he went on to be one of the second pastor of the New Testament church. And so uh, the book of James, just so you know this, just, this is just extra. The Bible is not written in chronological order. And so you're reading from Genesis all the way through. It's not chronological. The New Testament is not chronological. Actually, one of the first books written in the New Testament, guess what it is? James. James was written in A.D. 40. Jesus died in 33. James wrote it in 40. And so this is one of the very first books of the New Testament written by the half-brother of Jesus named James. James became a pastor, began to develop a real pastor's heart, and uh, the, the, the book of James is regarded, a lot of scholars say that the book of James is like the New Testament Proverbs. How many like Proverbs in the Old Testament? Got a lot of wisdom. You know, there's 31 Proverbs in a day. If you want to read scripture, read a Proverbs a day. Uh, it helps the devil go away. And so, <laughs> and so I would say partner up Proverbs and James, you'll get a lot of wisdom. And so that's why we're going to dive into this book because it's one of the most practical books in the Bible. We're going to talk about, uh, today we're going to talk about trials and tests and hardship. Uh, we'll talk about your tongue. Make sure you, I won't tell you which week that is, but if you read the chapters, you'll know which one that is. Uh, we're going to talk about um, racism. We're going to talk about, uh, does, does God still heal people? Does prayer still work? So there's really practical things that we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks that James dives in and shares. And so here is James, the, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, and he is, um, let's put verse one back up, please. So verse one says, this is, this letter's from James. Now watch this. He doesn't say, James, the bro of Jesus. Hey, I was Jesus. I'm his, I'm his real bro. He don't say that. He doesn't say, James, the pastor of the mega Jerusalem church. He says, James, the what? A slave of God. Other translations say a bondservant. But he, he understood that, that he was now under his brother. 
his brother, was the Lord, was the King of Kings, and he is the Lord of Lord Jesus Christ. And I am writing to this, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings. And so when the church was exploding and growing, it was, it was growing at a rapid rate, 120 people to 3,000, 3,000 to 8,000, and then it just began to grow and rapidly. And, and they began to get persecuted, and as they were getting persecuted and killed, uh, we see like Saul come in and begin to bring persecution. They scattered. And so James is writing this book to all the people on the run. And so literally what they would do nowadays, we have a Bible that has all of the letters and books in, in one, one book. But in those days when they would write a letter, this is an actual letter, they would write the letter and they would hand it to somebody and they would actually go run it to the different cities. And then what they would do is they would find people that were Christians, they would gather in a small home, usually with a small gathering, and that person would then read all of that letter to all of them in one sitting. And that's how the Bible was dispersed. And so he'd go from one city. It wasn't like, hey, you got the NLT, you got the ESV, you got the... No, it was like, I got the letter, the real letter. And he would go to all of these tribes and he would read this letter. And so you got to imagine their churches were much like ours. People of all different ethnicities, different ages, different backgrounds. But they're gathering in a small gathering to hear what is God saying to us. So that's where we are today. James is, is a pastor is sharing something. And so I want you to hear this from a pastor's heart. And so James starts off with James 1. And I love because he's a great pastor and he loves people. And I love where he begins in James 1. James 1 verse 2 now says this. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when various trials come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. James is teaching us how his big brother, Jesus, endured not just the best of days, but the worst of days, the hard days, the painful days. And I love how the Bible speaks to real world problems that you and I go through. James starts off the book by saying, hey, life is hard. How many of you would agree with Pastor James on this? Life is hard. Life is difficult. How many of you are going through, let's, be just, let's just get a little survey. How many of you are going through a bit of a trial right now? Raise your hand if you're going through one. Okay, well, I'm excited for you. Today's your day. You're going to get some encouragement. You're going to get some encouragement. And so this is what I want us to do. If you got your message notes with you, um, I, I want us to, to start off with looking at, there's, there's a way that you view your trials that can be the right way and that can be the wrong way. So let's first um, begin with the wrong view of our trials. When you're going through something, this is the wrong way to view it. Three ways. Number one, that God is punishing you. God is punishing you. True or false, it can feel like that. True? You know, when, when you're walking through a hard day, it just seems like every time you take a step, you're taking four steps back, and every time you're getting somewhere, it can just seem like God is punishing you. It's not the truth, by the way. God is not punishing you. God punished his son Jesus 2,000 years ago. How many are thankful he got the punishment and we didn't? Now, of course, there's consequences for our decisions that we bring on ourselves. That's for a whole other message. But we cannot just lump every trial and every struggle that you're going through and saying, well, I'm just getting punished. I got cancer because I didn't obey my mom when I was six. just doesn't work out that way. God doesn't work that way. So it's a wrong view. Number two, that God has abandoned you. I mean, no, it's easy to believe that God is near you when everything's good is going on around you. And it's hard to believe that God is near you when everything is bad is going around. 
when you're going through a difficult time, when you're going through a struggle and a trial, it's, it's a, a lot of times what you hear. We see this in the Psalms. David fought this all the time. God, where are you? How many you know your, your, your faith really gets tested, honestly, when you go through the hardest times because you're trying to find out where is God? And how many times God sometimes does pull out. He doesn't abandon, but he pulls out so we can press in. But he never abandons us. The Bible clearly teaches us that he is always with us. Let me give you number three. God will make it all better. God will make it all better. This is what I call greeting card Christianity. Front side, oh, it's terrible. Then on the inside, it's getting better. And then by the end, it's, it's all good. How many of you know that it doesn't always play out that way? How many of you in here are still waiting for God to do something? You've been waiting for a long time. And so I, I, I can tell you it gets very discouraging when you can come into a church and they kind of sugarcoated that God will make it great. It's going to just work out. It'll all get better. And then you're years and years and years into it, and it's getting worse. How I many you know that's very discouraging? That's not always the case. Sometimes it doesn't get better. Sometimes it does get worse. God doesn't promise you that he'll make it better. God just promises you that he'll help you through it all. God promises you that he'll be with you through everything that you're going through. And so we can't buy into the lie that God will make everything better. Now, does he work all things for our good? Yes, but not all the time does it always get better. Sometimes it gets worse. So these are the three wrong ways to view trials. But let's dive in today to the three biblical views of trials. And, and, and James, Pastor James, kind of gives us good insight onto how do we walk through a, a hardship. So write, write this down if you're taking notes. Number one is get ready. Trials are coming your way. Get ready. Trials are coming your way. James 1, verse 2. Look at this. <clears throat> says this. James 1, verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, what's the next word? Yeah. Say it aloud. Yeah. Say it a little louder. Yeah. Okay. Not if, but when. You got to make sure you understand that. You might want to circle that. If you got a real Bible or something, you can highlight that. Circle that word because that is a huge word in this because Pastor James is telling us that, hey, listen, brothers, sisters, everybody, listen, when various trials come your way, not if they come, but when they come, they're coming. Just letting you know that they're coming. When they come your way, they're coming your way. And, and you know, uh, I, I, you probably heard it all before. You're either in the middle of a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into a trial. That's kind of all, all of us in here are in one of those three phases. You're either in one right now, you just like, whoo, I just came out of one, that was terrible, or you're like, uh-oh, about to go into one. We're all in one of those three, three phases. And so here's the good thing about Pastor Jeremy, though, is he loves his people so much is that he's prepping them before it actually happens. So listen, listen to me very closely. The world can get very upset when bad things come their way and trials and hardships. You shouldn't because you should expect it because he, he told you it was coming. How many are thankful that we have the radar systems that we have now to see storms brewing from the Gulf? I remember there was a day when that was not the case. You did not know until it was at your front doorstep. And you're like, oh, we need to get out of here, and it's up too late. But we're, we're so thankful that we have the technology nowadays that we can forecast where things are coming, when they're coming. And I, I heard y'all had one that was supposedly blowing, blowing through, and I was in Colorado. Um, I enjoyed it up there, by the way. And so this is what God does for us, is God is 
forecasting to you, hey, listen, you're going to go through hardships. So as Christians, we should not be taken back when things happen. We should go, yep, God told me that. It's coming. Now, I want you to notice something, though, is he uses this word <laughs> various. Well, what does various mean? It means a wide variety of trials. How many know when it rains, it what does that mean? That actually just means that one thing happens, and then as soon as you're kind of getting that, then this thing happens, and then the car breaks down, and then your wife is mad at you, and then you get fired, and then come on. How many know it just begins to, all these various trials, your marriage is working, your kids are going crazy, uh, stuff at work's not going well. I mean, it's various trials, various trials. And so be encouraged today. Trials are coming your way. I love going to our Savior's church. They greatly encourage us. But we would be terrible pastors if we didn't prepare you for something. Because I, can I tell you right now, I've seen more people leave the faith because of trials than anything else. Don't leave because of trials. God told you they were coming. So here's the question. How can we prepare for them? How can we get prepped for when bad things come our way? Well, number two. Look at the rest, look at the rest of this says. It says, you don't always get to choose your trials but you do always get to choose your attitude. You don't always get to choose your trials, but you do get to choose your attitude. Let me, let, let's continue. Let's, let's continue verse 2. So verse 2 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when, when various trials come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. <laughs> Pastor James smoking crack? <laughs> What's going on here? I mean, who like? Like, dude, I got some great news, man. What happened, man? You got a promotion? No, I got fired. <laughs> High five. What? And religious people take this really out of context. You know, they're like, you know, you're like, oh, man, I got, my, I got in an accident. I got to get hit by a car. Well, at least you didn't get hit by a bus. Count it all joy. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I mean, come on now. How many of you know when people make stupid religious comments and quotes like that, you want to do physical harm to them? Anybody in here? You, you want to hurt those people. This is not what he's meaning. Because here's the truth. The world's definition of joy is based off of what's happening to you. But God's definition of joy is based off what's happening in you. I'll say that again. The world's definition of joy is based off of what's happening to you. Happiness is based off of what is happening. So if bad things are happening, then you can't be happy. But God didn't say, let's have great happiness. He said, let's have great joy. And joy is so much deeper. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Okay, good. All right. Some, some people went to Sunday school. All right. So it's down in the heart. It's not, it's not up in the head. It's down in the heart because great joy down in the heart. I can walk through the worst of situations and still have great joy. Does that mean I'm excited about the circumstances? Does that mean I'm excited about what I'm walking through? No, but I can have joy and peace because I know, here's what I know. I know God is doing something with it. Here's why you can have great joy when you go through the hardest times in life because you know it's not wasted. God never wastes pain. So any pain I'm going through, whether it's a job loss or an unexpected death, or uh, somebody being critical of me, something going down in my job, something that's happening in my marriage, I can have great joy knowing that God is doing something in me. 
He's producing something in me. He's developing something in me. He's building something in me. And God is using trials to teach me, to heal me, to equip me. Come on, how many of you would say God's used some trials to refine you, to make you? It's what he's done. And listen, you don't get to choose the trial, but you do get to choose your attitude. So when you go through a trial, here's the question. What's your attitude? Is it complaining and whining and grumbling? Or is it God, help give me perspective here to see what you're doing through this. I don't understand it. Which, by the way, you don't have to understand it to accept it. God, you're doing something, and I trust that you're good. That is why it's so important for us to go back to a Psalms 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. By the way, he's not only great when everything in your life is great. He's great even when everything in your life is bad. Because he's a great God working all things out for your great good. Can I get an amen on that? And so we can trust God. Listen, car broke down. Praise God. <laughs> you are greatly to be praised. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to pay for that. But God, guess what? I'm going to get to watch you do something in this moment where I don't know what to do. And we turn to him and say, God, you show, God, you're my provider. You're my provider. So listen, you can't choose the trials that you're going to go through, but you can choose your attitude. You have a choice over that. And by the way, as a side note, People are watching. The real only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is how you face trials. Because non-Christians have a great attitude when things are going great. Can you have a great attitude when things are going bad? That's what sets you apart. Can I get an amen on that one? That should be the thing that sets us apart. We go through the worst of times and we still have joy. And so people look at us and go, what is it about you that allows you to still smile and still serve people, and still help when I know what you're walking through. That's the encouragement of like watching Pastor Bubba's Tracy going through the cancer stuff, and Pastor Bubba's ministering to people, praying for people, and he's got what he's going through. Well, how can you do that? Joy, trusting that God is working on my behalf, so if he's, got, if he's working, I don't have to worry about it, now I can go minister to other people. Y'all with me here? And so we... Choose our attitude. Here's number three. Your faith is both, both developed and revealed by tests. Your faith is both developed and revealed by tests. James 1 verse 3 says this. So for you know that when your faith is what? What's that word? Your faith is tested. Your faith is going to be tested. Your endurance has a chance to grow. Your endurance has a chance to grow. All of life is a test. You are always being tested. How many of you were terrible at test taking in here? Anybody in here? Terrible. You hated it. Me too. I hated it. I hated test taking. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, you are continually still taking tests. God is still testing you constantly. Everything in your life is a test. How many men in here have a wife? Raise your hand. It's always a test. <laughs> hey, baby, how do I look? That's a test. <laughs> Don't fail that one. How do you know you're going to leave this place and she can be like, where do you want to go eat? You're like, babe, just whatever. That's a test. <laughs> Seen many marriages on the bridge of divorce <laughs> trying to figure out where to go eat. Where are we going? I don't know where we're going. Is this a test, Lord? <laughs> I'm failing. <laughs> Adam and Eve failed their test in the Garden of Eden. David failed his test 
on multiple occasions. But we also see in scriptures men and women who God tested them and they passed. God tested Abraham by asking him to offer his son Isaac. Passed. God tested Joshua when he told him, hey man, I want you to go walk around that that fortress called Jericho. Walk around it. Don't say anything for six days. Mm, Okay. But he passed the test. Seventh day, blew the horns, walls came down. God tested Joseph when he gave him a dream and then took over 30 years for him to fulfill it and walk through all that he walked through to see that. How many of you want to be more like Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you want to have great faith? Raise your hand. How many of you want a trial? Raise your hand. <laughs> hey, by the way, all three of those are the same question. How many want to be more like Jesus? How many want your faith to be greater? How many want a trial? They're all the same question. Because they are all required in order to have greater faith and greater love for Jesus. Your faith is tested. You, you don't get faith by sitting in a Bible study just reading the Bible. You get faith when you put it into practice. Let me put it another way. You don't get faith. Let's put it in a way maybe you would understand. You don't get them six-pack abs watching Richard Simmons work out on the TV. (laughs) I think Richard Simmons is a little old, so that went over half of the millennials. But, right? You don't get the body you want without doing something different. But yet we think because we're just in the proximity of people's lives being changed, our life's going to be changed. But your faith has to be tested and has to be developed. You've got, you can't grow the muscles and not get in the gym. You got to get in the gym. I hadn't been, I hadn't worked out for six, no, eight weeks bunch of different things was going on in my life, and I had to, I went back this past week on Thursday. It was like hell day. <laughs> Literally. It was terrible. I, I have been walking like this kind of for, the, for all weekend. It has been hurting terribly. And there was weeks where I couldn't go because of situations, and there was weeks that I couldn't go because I just made excuses. I mean, let's be honest. But I'd look at people that have, you know, toned abs, and they're like, I would love to have that. I just don't want to go work out. Can I get a witness? Anybody in here? <laughs> I want to lose weight. I just really like Bluebell. I really like food. Okay? Faith is like a muscle, and it's developed when it's being used. I want you to hear me very closely. What is coming against me in a form of a trial is God actually training you for where he's taking you. Okay, I, that just went over a lot of heads there. Okay, listen. Listen to me very closely. What is coming to you as a trial that you are praying against is actually training you for where God is taking you. God is using what you're going through for where he wants to bring you. Let me put it a different way. Our life is lived in forward, but most of the times you don't get understanding except in reverse. So what I mean by that is you're going through something right now that you have no clue why you're going through it, but there's probably a possibility in a year, five years, or ten years from now, you'll look back and go, oh, 
That's why. And so don't disregard what God is doing right now because he's bringing you somewhere and he's doing something inside of you. Your faith has to be tested and has to be developed. Let me show you. 1 Peter 1.7 says, These trials, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. When you understand that life is a test, you realize that nothing is insignificant in your life. Everything God uses. So let me wrap all this up because i got to close this. Four common trials that God uses to test your faith. You ready? Let's go, let's go through them. Four ways that God uses trials. Four common ones. You see them all throughout Scripture. And, and probably all of you in this room are in one of these. Here's your first one, the pressure test. The pressure test. This, this asks the question, how will I handle stress? Pressure helps me to be consciously aware of my need for God. Come on, let's be honest. When everything is going good... When everything is going like you like it, God is probably not so much on your radar. Can we, can we all agree on that? We think that we are where we are today because of how good we are, how good we got, to, we got ourselves here. I, I work this way. That's why I have this money. That's why I have this stuff. That's why I have this wife, this job, this family. Everything is going well. It's going good. Most people don't turn to God until pressure, stress. And so God, God's word in James now verse 5, Pastor James tells them, listen, when you're under stress, you know what you're going to need? Wisdom. So this is what you do. If any one of you lacks wisdom, if you're under some pressure, under some stress, you don't know what to do with your job, you don't know what to do with your marriage, you don't know what to do with your family. If anyone lacks wisdom, here's how you get your wisdom. You what? You just ask for it. You just ask for it. And, and who gives generously to all without finding fight? And it will be given to you. God is an incredible God. He's not like, why are you asking for that? He's like, I've been waiting for you to ask for that. I want to give this to you. So when you're under the pressure of stress, ask God, God, I need wisdom. I need help. Let me give you number two, the people test. The people test. This answer is to ask the question, how will I handle disappointments? I mean, oh, God often uses people to test you, stretch you, Anybody in here? Develop you? How many of they're sitting by you? Don't raise your hand. How many know your How many know your family is your best character test you'll ever go through? If you can pass the family, you can go through anything. Can I get an amen on that one? I mean, dear good. I just went on vacation. People were like, "Man, how was your vacation?" I was like, "It was amazing and I'm exhausted." I went with kids. Anybody been on vacation with kids? I, I, three of them almost met Jesus. <laughs> that is no lie. You put us in a car together, driving for hours and hours and hours upon hours, and I, I, I'll tell you, I don't want to see a fidget spinner. I don't want to see, come on, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you got the fidget spinners. All right, I don't want to see, I don't want to be asked another question. I don't want to, where are we going? When are we going? Where are we going to get there? When are we going to do? What are we doing today? Where are we going? Dad, where are we going? I, if I say where we're going again, I'm, I'm going to hurt somebody. Lindsay looked at me, and she's like, baby. You know, when, when, when you get baby and she looks at you, you better simmer down. But it's a test. I would love to say your pastor, like, passed the test of flying colors this vacation. I bombed a couple. <laughs> I did. I got upset. I got frustrated. But it was honestly because of selfishness in my part. 
But people can bring tests. You got to pass those tests. Life can often be disappointing. Careers can be disappointing. Marriages can be disappointing. How many know when your plans don't work out the way that you had it planned, that can be disappointing? But can I tell you the thing that can be most disappointing? People. <clears throat> Let me tell you why people can be the most disappointing. People can be the most disappointing because we get disappointed because we expect them to meet a need that only God himself can meet. And that is the test. Listen, by the way, people are not the problem, and people are not the answer to your problem. God is the answer. So whatever you're walking through today, when it comes to people, turn to God. Isaiah 49, 23, those who hope in me will not be what? Put your hope in him. Number three, the persistence test. This asks the question, will I give up when life gets hard, when it gets difficult? James 1, 4 says, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect. That word perfect is not perfect in the sense that we think. It's actually mature, mature and complete, needing nothing. Let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed. How is it developed? With persistence. How many know we are a culture who want things now? We go through a drive through We want it now. We now have apps on our phone that give us access now. Our kids have no clue on what it is to wait. How many of you know that? When are we going to be there? When is this going to happen? It won't download fast enough. Seriously, that's first world problems right there, okay? We want things now. And, and, and can I say that's the same spiritually, though? God, I just want to be where you want me to be now. You know, it takes seven minutes to uh, heat or to cook a Domino's pizza? Y'all get some great revelation here, by the way. It's seven minutes, just so you knew, seven minutes, seven minutes to cook a Domino's pizza all the way through. I think some people would love for God's way of refining us to be the seven-minute Domino's pizza. But can I tell you, it's a lifetime. It's a life. He's always working on you. He's always testing you. He's always using this. And so we have to have persistence. That means you've got to endure. You've got to persevere. You've got to weather the storm. You've got to make it through it. You got don't give up. You don't give in. You can make excuses or you can make progress, but you can't make both. And no matter what you're walking through today, you've got to be able to say, you know what, I'm not going to keep making excuses for this. I'm going to make some progress. I'm going to get going. I gotta, I'm going to keep standing. I'm going to keep fighting. This is the persistence test. And last one, and this is by far the most important one out of all four of them, and that is the priorities test. And this asks the question, who will be first in my life? So here's the question we're all asking. How do you know if God is really the first priority in your life? You ready? I'm going to give you three questions you can ask yourself right now. One, where does, uh, <coughs> excuse me. What do you think about most? What do you think about the most? Two, where does your money go first? Three, how do you spend your time? If you want to know, is God first in your life? Just answer these questions. And if God is anywhere in this, then there's a possibility. If God is nowhere in this, then you know where. 
we've got to understand that sometimes God allows us to walk through tests and trials because he's trying to get your priorities in the right place. I've seen men lose marriages and then find God and then God restore marriages because he was allowing them to walk through that to realize that the only way their marriage is going to work was with Jesus in the first place. I've seen people lose jobs and do the same thing. Lose a job, find God, get the job back, and now realize, okay, the job wasn't it, God was it. Y'all with me? I'm just praying. I hope you don't have to go through a trial to realize that God needs to be first in your life. God needs to be the first. And here's the good news out of all of this, and we're wrapping this up, is that God wants you to pass the test of your life. So he never, listen to me closely, he never allows them meaning the trials, to be greater than the grace that he gives you to handle them. God never allows the trials you're walking through to be greater than the grace that he gives you to handle them. This lie that God will never give you more than you can handle is not true to a degree. God will give you more than you can handle, but he also gives you the grace to handle it. Y'all with me? This is what Jesus does. James 1.12 ends with this. He says, God blesses those, now watch this, who patiently endure testing. God blesses them, those who commit to it, to stay, to stick it out, to fight. They blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. A crown of life is a symbol of all that God has planned for you. But all that God has planned for you is wrapped up and your ability to patiently endure the test you're walking through. To go, God, what are you doing in me? To allow that. And by the way, you get to determine how long the trial is often. Not all the time, but many times. God would allow you to determine how often you keep taking the same test. Because he wants you to pass that test. So he'll keep, he's a retest taker. He will let you keep retesting the same test until you pass it. And then even when you pass it, sometimes he'll just throw it back out there just to make sure you pass it again. But the Bible says that afterwards they, they will receive a crown of life. God has promised to you.